This episode of Sleepy is proudly sponsored by ButcherBox. If you've listened to Sleepy for a while, you know that I love good food, eating well and treating my body right so that I can take on my days. Well, ButcherBox helps you do exactly that. They deliver super high quality, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood right to your door. It's humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones. They have a huge variety to choose from. They are excellent deals. They've got recipes and guides and tips included, and there's free shipping, always. Eating well is a huge factor in getting a good night's sleep, as is sometimes saving the trip to the grocery store and taking some stress out of your daily schedule. I have been loving these deliveries for those reasons. Been cooking up their uh, steak tips with eggs in the morning with butter and scallions and soy sauce. And I also made a delicious brine chicken roast with lemon parsley gravy. So good. The prices for this kind of quality and convenience is really impressive. Uh, yeah, ButcherBox has made me very happy. So sign up at butcherbox.com sleepy and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sleepy and use code sleepy to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Butcherbox.com sleepy. Eat well, sleep well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. Podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep, and a proud member of the Airwave Podcast Network. I have got a wonderful, snoozy bedtime story for you tonight. But before we get to tonight's reading, 
I just want to thank all of our patrons on Patreon.com. Oliver Robinson Sivier, Melody Yeager, Karma Alvey, Ava Laverty, and V. Nicholson. Thank you all so, so much for donating and being a part of making this show. And for those of you who don't know, if you're new to listening to the show, uh, all the names that I just read are new patrons on Patreon.com, which means that they like the show and it works for them and they've gone on Patreon.com to donate a dollar, two dollars, five dollars a month and are a part of making the show. So if the show works for you, consider going over to Patreon.com slash Sleepy Radio and donating even a dollar a month. It goes a really, really long way. And we'll read your name on the show. Thank you. And as always, the music that you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski, and the cover-up for Sleepy is by Gracie Kanan. Tonight is a request that I'm really excited to get into. Um, it's a listener request from a lot of people, and it's definitely a little darker, but... It's a really beautiful language, and uh, I think it's kind of a perfect book to fall asleep to. I don't know why it feels appropriate with the weather here in Vermont as well. It's the epic poetry of Beowulf, with the new verse translation by Seamus Heaney. I'm just going to get right into it. So now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow, get real comfortable. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Close your eyes. And let me read to you. Beowulf. So, the spear Danes in days gone by, and the kings who ruled them had courage and greatness. We have heard of those princes' heroic campaigns. There was Shield Sheafson, scourge of many tribes, a wrecker of mead benches, rampaging among foes. This terror of the hall troops had come far. A foundling to start with, he would flourish later on as his powers waxed and his worth was proved. In the end, each clan on the outlying coast beyond the whale road had to yield to him and begin to pay tribute. That was one good king. Afterwards, a boy child was born to shield, a cub in the yard, a comfort sent by God to that nation. He knew what they had told. The long times and troubles they'd come through without a leader. So the Lord of Life, the glorious Almighty, made this man renowned. Shield had fathered a famous son. Beo's name was known through the north. And a young prince must be prudent like that. Giving freely while his father lived so that afterwards in age, when fighting starts, steadfast companions will stand by him and hold the line. Behavior that's admired is the path to power among people everywhere. 
shield was still striving when his time came, and he crossed over into the Lord's keeping. His warrior band did what he bade them when he laid down the law among the Danes. They shouldered him out of the sea's flood, the chief they revered who had long ruled them. A ring-world prow rode in the harbor, ice-clad, outbound a craft for a prince. They stretched their beloved lord in his bow, laid out by the masts amidships the great ring-giver. Far-fetched treasures were piled upon him in precious gear. I never heard before of a ship so well furbished with battle tackle, bladed weapons, and coats of mail. The mass treasure was loaded on top of him. It would travel far on out into the ocean's sway. They decked his body no less bountifully with offerings than those first ones did who cast him away when he was a child and launched him alone out over the waves. And they set a gold standard up high above his head and let him drift to wind and tide, bewailing him and mourning their loss. No man can tell. No wise man in hall or weathered veteran knows for certain who salvaged the load. Then it fell to Baal to keep the forts. He was well regarded and ruled the Danes for a long time after his father took leave of life on earth. And then his heir, the gray half-Dane, held sway for as long as he lived, their elder and warlord. He was four times a father, this fighter prince. One by one they entered the world, Haragar, Hrothgar, the good Halga, and a daughter, I have heard, who was Anella's queen, a bomb in bed to the battle-scarred Swede. The fortunes of war favored Hrothgar. Friends and kinsmen flocked to his ranks, young followers, a force that grew to be a mighty army. So his mind turned to hall-building. He handed down orders for men to work on a great mead hall, meant to be a wonder of the world forever. It would be his throne room, and there he would dispense his God-given goods to young and old, but not the common land or people's lives. Far and wide through the world, I have heard, orders for work to adorn that wallstead were sent to many peoples, and soon it stood there, finished and ready, in full view, the Hall of Halls. Heriot was the name he had settled on it, whose utterance was law. Nor did he renege, but doled out rings and torques at the table. The hall towered its gables wide and high and awaiting a barbarous burning. That doom abided, but at time it would come, the killer instinct unleashed among in-laws, the blood-lust rampant. Then a powerful demon, a prowler through the dark, nursed a hard grievance. It harrowed him to hear the din of a loud banquet every day in the hall the heart being struck and the clear song of a skilled poet telling the mastery of man's beginnings 
how the Almighty had made the earth a gleaming plain girdled with waters. In his splendor, he set the sun and the moon to be earth's lamplight, lanterns for men, and filled the broad lap of the world with branches and leaves and quickened life and every other thing that moved. So times were pleasant for the people there, until finally one, a fiend out of hell, began to work his evil in the world. Grendel was the name of this grim demon haunting the marches, marauding round the heath and the desolate fens. He had dwelt for a time in misery among the banished monsters, Cain's clan, whom the creator had outlawed and condemned as outcasts. For the killing of Abel, the eternal Lord had exacted a price. Cain got no good from committing that murder, because the Almighty made him anathema, and out of the curse as exile there sprang ogres and elves and evil phantoms and the giants, too, who strove with God time and again until he gave them their reward. So after nightfall, Grendel set out for the lofty house to see how the ring Danes were settling into that after they're drunk. And there he came upon them, a company of the best asleep from their feasting and sensible to pain and human sorrow. Suddenly then, the God-cursed brew was creating havoc. Greedy and grim, he grabbed thirty men from their resting places and rushed to his lair, flushed up and inflamed from the raid, blundering back, with the butchered corpses. Then as dawn brightened and the day broke, Grendel's powers of destruction were plain. Their wassail was over. They wept to heaven and mourned under morning. Their mighty prince, the story leader, sat stricken and helpless, humiliated by the loss of his guard bewildered and stunned, staring aghast at the demon's trail in deep distress. He was numb with grief, but got no respite for one night later merciless Grendel struck again with more gruesome murders. Malignant by nature, he never showed remorse. It was easy then to meet with a man shifting himself to a safer distance, to bed, and the bodies, for who could be blind to the evidence of his eyes, the obviousness of that hall-watcher's hate. Whoever escaped kept a weather eye open and moved away. So Grendel ruled in defiance of right, one against all, until the greatest house in the world stood empty, a deserted wallstead. For twelve winters, Seasons of woe, the Lord of Shielding suffered under his load of sorrow. And so before long the news was known over the whole world. Sad lays were sung about the beset king, the vicious raids and ravages of Grendel, his long and unrelenting feud, nothing but war, how he would never parley or make peace with any Dane nor stop his death-dealing, nor pay the death price. 
No counselor could ever expect fair reparation from those rabid hands. All were endangered. Young and old were hunted down by that dark death shadow who lurked and swooped in the long nights on the misty moors. Nobody knows where these reavers from hell roam on their errands. So Grendel waged his lonely war, inflicting constant cruelties on the people, atrocious hurt. He took over Harriet, haunted the glittering hall after dark, but the throne itself, the treasure sea, he was kept from approaching. He was the Lord's outcast. These were hard times, heartbreaking for the Prince of Shieldings. Powerful counselors, the highest in the land, would lend advice, plotting how best the bold defenders might resist and beat off sudden attacks. Sometimes at pagan shrines they vowed offerings of idols, swore oaths that the killer's souls might come to there and save the people. That was their way, their heathenship hope. Deep in their hearts they remembered how the almighty judge of good deeds and bad, the Lord God, head of the heavens and high king of the world was unknown to them. Oh, cursed is he who in time of trouble has to thrust his soul in the fire's embrace, forfeiting help. He has nowhere to turn. But blessed is he who after death can approach the Lord and find friendship in the Father's embrace. So, that troubled time continued. Woe that never stopped, steady affliction for Halfdane's son, too hard an ordeal. There was panic after dark. People endured raids in the night, riven by terror. When he heard about Grendo, Hygelac's Thane was on home ground over the Geatland. There was no one else like him alive. In his day, he was the mightiest man on earth, high-born and powerful. He ordered a bow that would ply the waves. And he announced his plan to sail the Swan's Road and search out that king, the famous prince who needed defenders. Nobody tried to keep him from going. No elder denied him, dear as he was to them. Instead, they inspected omens and spurred his ambition to go, whilst he moved about with the leader he was, enlisting men the best he could find with fourteen others the warrior boarded the boat as captain, a canny pilot along coasts and currents. Time went by. The boat was on water, in close under the cliffs. Men climbed eagerly up the gangplank, Sand churned and surfed. Warriors loaded a cargo of weapons, shining war gear in the vessel's hold, and then heaved out, away with a will in their wood-wreathed ship. Over the waves, with the wind behind her and the foam at her neck, she flew like a bird until her curved prow had covered the distance, and on the following day at the dew hour, those seafarers sighted land. Sunlit cliffs, sheer crags, and looming headlands. The landfall they sought. 
It was the end of their voyage, and the geats vaulted over the side, out and onto the sand, and moored their ship. There was a clash of mail and a thrash of gear. They thanked God for that easy crossing on a calm sea. When the watchman on the wall, the shielding's lookout, whose job it was to guard the sea cliffs, saw shields glittering on the gangplank and battle equipment being unloaded, he had to find out who and what the arrivals were. So he rode to shore, this horseman of Hrothgar's, and challenged them in formal terms, flourishing his spear. What kind of men are you who arrive rigged out for combat in coats of mail? sailing here over the sea lanes in your steep hulled boat. I have been stationed as lookout on this coast for a long time. My job is to watch the waves for raiders, any danger to the Danish shore. Never before has a force under arms disembarked so openly, not bothering to ask if the sentries allowed them safe passage where the clan had consented nor have I seen a mightier man-at-arms on this earth than the one standing here. Unless I am mistaken, he is truly noble. This is no mere hanger-on in a hero's armor. So now, before you fare inland as interlopers, I have to be informed about who you are and where you hail from. Outsiders from across the water, I say it again, the sooner you tell where you come from and why, the better. The leader of the troop unlocked his word horn. The distinguished one delivered his answer. We belong by birth to the Gia people and owe allegiance to Lord Hygelac. In his day, my father was a famous man, a noble warrior lord named Ekthiao. He outlasted many a long winter, and went on his way. All over the world, men wise and counsel continue to remember him. We come in good faith to find your lord and nation shield, the son of the half-dane. Give us the right advice and direction. We have arrived here on the great errand to the lord of the Danes, and I believe, therefore, there should be nothing hidden or withheld between us. So tell us, if what we heard is true about this threat, whatever it is, this danger abroad in the dark nights, this corpse maker mongering death in the shield's country. I come to proffer my wholehearted help and counsel. I can show the wise Hrothgar a way to defeat his enemy and find respite, if any respite is to reach him ever. I can calm the turmoil and terror in his mind. Otherwise, he must endure woes and live with grief for as long as his hall stands at the horizon on its high ground. Undaunted, sitting astride his horse, the coast guard answered, Anyone with gumption and a sharp mind will to make the measure of two things. What's said, it was done. I believe what you have told me, that you are a troop loyal to your king. So come ahead with your arms and your gear and I will guide you. 
What's more, all over to my own comrades on their word of honor to watch your bow down there by the strand. Keep her safe in her fresh tar until the time comes for her curved prow to preen on the waves and bear this hero back to Geelan. May one so valiant and venturesome come unharmed through the clash of battle. So, they went on their way. The ship rode the water, broad, beamed, bound by its hawser and anchored fast. Boar shapes flashed above their cheek guards, the brightly forged work of goldsmiths, watching over those stern-faced men. They marched in step, hurrying on till the timbered hall rose before them, radiant with gold. Nobody on earth knew of another building like it. Majesty lodged there, its light shone over many lands. So their gallant escort guided them to that dazzling stronghold and indicated the shortest way to it. Then the noble warrior wheeled on his horse and spoke these words. It is time for me to go. May the Almighty Father keep you and in his kindness watch over your exploits. I'm away to sea, back on alert against enemy raiders. It was a paved track, a path that kept them in marching order. Their mail shirts glinted hard and hand-linked, the high-gloss iron of their armor rang. So they duly arrived in their grim war and gear at the hall and weary from the sea, stacked wide shields of the toughest hardwood against the wall, and collapsed on the benches, battle dress and weapons clashed. They collected their spears in a seafarer's stook, a stand of grayish tapering ash, and the troops themselves were as good as their weapons. Then a proud warrior questioned the men concerning their origins. Where do you come from, carrying these decorated shields and shirts of mail, these cheek-hinged helmets and javelins? I am Hrothgar's herald, an officer. I've never seen so impressive or large an assembly of strangers. Stoutness of heart, bravery, not banishment, must have brought you to Hrothgar. The man whose name was known for the courage... The Giat leader, resolute in his helmet, answered in return. We are retainers from Hygelic's band. Beowulf is my name. If your lord and master, the most renowned son of Halfdane, will hear me out and graciously allow me to greet him in person, I am ready and willing to report my errand. Wolfgar replied, A Wendell chief renowned as a warrior, well known for his wisdom and the temper of his mind. I will take this message in accordance with your wish to our noble king, our dear lord, friend of the Danes and giver of rings. I will go and ask him about your coming here, then hurry back with whatever reply it pleases him to give. With that he turned to where Hrothgar sat, an old man among retainers. The valiant follower stood four square in front of his king. 
he knew the courtesies. Wolfgar addressed his dear lord. People from the Geatland have pulled ashore. They have sailed far over the wide sea. They called the chief in charge of their band by the name of Beowulf. They beg, my lord, an audience with you, an exchange of words and a formal greeting. Most gracious Hrothgar, do not refuse them, but grant them a reply. From their arms and appointment, they appear well-born and worthy of respect, especially the one who has led them this far. He is formidable indeed. Hrothgar, protector of shieldlings, replied, I used to know him when he was a young boy. His father before him was called Ekthiau. Hrethel, the Gia, gave Ekthiau his daughter in marriage. This man is their son, here to follow up an old friendship. A crew of seamen who sailed for me once with a gift cargo across the Geatland returned with marvelous tales about him. A thane, they declared, with the strength of thirty and the grip of each hand. Now, holy God has, in his goodness, guided him here to the West Danes to defend us from Grendel. This is my hope, and for his heroism I will recompense him with a rich treasure. Go immediately. Bid him and the Geats he has in attendance to assemble and enter. Say moreover when you speak to them, they are welcome to Denmark. At the door of the hall, Wolfgar duly delivered the message. My lord, the conquering king of the Danes bids me announce that he knows your ancestry. Also, that he welcomes you here, to Harriet, and salutes your arrival from across the sea. You are free now to move forward to me, Hrothgar, in helmets and armor, but shields must stay here, and spears be stacked until the outcome of the audience is clear. The hero arose, surrounded closely by his powerful thanes. The party remained under orders to keep watch on the arms. The rest proceeded, led by their prince under Harriet's roof. And standing on the hearth and webbed links that the smith had woven, the fine forged mesh of his gleaming mail shirt resolute in his helmet, Beowulf spoke. Greetings to Hrothgar. I am Hygelech's kinsman, one of his hall troop. When I was younger, I had great triumphs. Then news of Grendel, hard to ignore, reached me at home. Sailors brought stories of the plight you suffer in this legendary hall, how it lies deserted, empty and useless once the evening light hides itself under heaven's dome. So every elder, an experienced councilman, among my people supported my resolve to come to you here, King Hrothgar, because all knew of my awesome strength. They'd seen me boltered in the blood of enemies when I battled and bound five beasts, raided a troll nest, and in the night seas slaughtered sea brutes. I have suffered extremes and avenged the Geats. 
Their enemies brought it upon themselves. I devastated them. Now I mean to be a match for Grendel. Settle the outcome in single combat. And so, my request, O King of Bright Danes, dear Prince of the Shieldings, friend of the people and their ring of defense, my one request is that you won't refuse me, who've come this far the privilege of purifying Heria with my own men to help me and nobody else. I've heard, moreover, that the monster scorns in his reckless way to use weapons. Therefore, to heighten Hygelac's fame and gladden his heart, I hereby renounce sword and the shelter of this broad shield, the heavy warboard. Hand to hand is how it will be, a life and death fight with the fiend. Whichever one death fells must deem it a just judgment by God. If Grendel wins, it will be a gruesome day. He will glut himself on the gates in the war hall, swoop without fear on that flower of manhood as on others before. Then my face won't be there to be covered in death. He will carry me away as he goes to ground, gorged and bloody. He'll run gloating with my raw corpse and feed on it alone in a cruel frenzy, fouling his mournest. No need then to lament or long or lay on my body if the battle takes me. Send back this breast webbing that wheel and fashion and Rethel gave me to Lord Hygelac. Fate goes ever as fate must. Hrothgar, the helmet of shielding, spoke. Beowulf, my friend, you have traveled here to favor us with help and to fight for us. There was a feud one time, begun by your father. With his own hands, he had killed Heathaloth, who was a wolfing. So war was looming, and his people, in fear of it, forced him to leave. He came away then, over rolling waves, to the South Danes here, the sons of honor. I was then in the first flush of kingship, establishing my sway over all the rich strongholds of this heroic land. Hiragar, my elder brother and the better man, also a son of half-Danes, had died. Finally, I healed the feud by paying. I shipped a treasure trove to the Wolfings, and Ekthiao acknowledged me with oaths of allegiance. It bothers me to have to burden anyone with all the grief Grendel has caused and the havoc he has wreaked upon us at Harriet, our humiliations. My household guard are on the wane. Fate sweeps them away into Grendel's clutches. But God can easily halt these raids and harrowing attacks. Time and time again, when the goblets passed and seasoned fighters got flushed with beer, they would pledge themselves to protect Harriet and wait for Grendel with wetted swords. But when dawn broke and day crept in over each empty, blood-spattered bench, the floor of the mead hall where they had feasted would be slick with slaughter. And so they died, faithful retainers, and my following dwindled. 
Now, take your place at the table. Relish the triumph of heroes to your heart's content. Then a bench was cleared in the banquet hall, so the Geats could have room to be together, and the party sat, proud in their bearing, strong and stalwart. An attendant stood by with a decorated pitcher, pouring bright helpings of meat, and the minstrel sang, filling area with his head-clearing voice, gladdening that great rally of Geats and Danes. From where he crouched at the king's feet, Unferth, the son of Eklavs, spoke contrary words. Beowulf's coming, his sea-braving making him sick with envy. He could not brook or abide the fact that anyone else alive under heaven might enjoy greater regard than he did. Are you the Beowulf who took on Brekka in a swimming match on the open sea, risking the water just to prove that you could win? It was sheer vanity that made you venture out on the main deep, and no matter who tried, friend or foe, to deflect a pair of you, neither would back down. The sea test obsessed you. You waded in, embracing water, taking its measure, mastering currents, riding on the swell. The ocean swayed. Winter went wild in the waves. But you vied for seven nights, and then he outswam you, came ashore the stronger contender. He was cast up safe and sound one morning among the Heathereans, and he made his way to where he belonged, in Brondon country, home again, sure of his ground and strong groom and bond. So Brekka made good his boast upon you and was proved right. No matter, therefore, how you may have fared in every bow and battle until now, this time you'll be worsted. No one has ever outlasted an entire night against Grendel. Beowulf, Ecthiao's son, replied, Well, friend Unferth, you have said your say about Breck and me, but it was mostly beer that was doing the talking. The truth is this, the going was heavy in those high waves, I was the strongest swimmer of all. We'd been children together, and we grew up daring ourselves to outdo each other, boasting and urging each other to risk our lives on the sea. And so it turned out. Each of us swam holding a sword, the naked, hard-proof blade for protection against the whale beasts. But Brekka could never move out farther or faster from me than I could manage to move from him. Shoulder to shoulder we struggled on for five nights until the long flow and pitch of the waves, the perishing cold, night falling and winds from the north drove us apart. The deep boiled up and its wallowing sent the sea brutes wild. My armor helped me to hold out. My hurtling chainmail, hand-forged and linked, a fine, Close-knitting filigree of gold kept me safe when some ocean creature pulled me to the bottom. Pinion fast and swatch in its grip, I was granted one final chance. My sword plunged, and the ordeal was over. Through my own hands, the fury of battle had finished off the sea beast. 
time and time again, foul things attacked me, lurking and stalking. But I lashed out, gave as good as I got with my sword. My flesh was not for feasting on. There would be no monsters gnawing and gloating over their banquet at the bottom of the sea. Instead, in the morning, mangled and sleeping, the sleep of the sword, they slopped and floated like the ocean's leavings. From now on, sailors would be safe. The deep sea raids were over for good. Light came from the east, bright guarantee of God, and the waves went quiet. I could see headlands and buffeted cliffs. Often for undaunted courage, fate spares the man that is not already marked. However it occurred, my sword had killed nine sea monsters. Such night dangers and hard ordeals I've never heard of nor a man more desolate in surging waves. But worn out as I was, I survived, came through with my life. The ocean lifted and laid me ashore. I landed safe on the coast of Finland. Now I cannot recall any fight you entered on Firth. That bears comparison. I don't boast when I say that neither you nor Brekka were ever much celebrated for swordsmanship or for facing danger on the field of battle. You killed your own kith and kin. So for all your cleverness and quick tongue, you will suffer damnation in the depths of hell. The fact is, Unverth, if you were truly as keen or courageous as you claim to be, Grendel would never have got away with this unchecked atrocity. Attacks on your king. Havoc and Harriet and horrors everywhere. But he knows he need never be in dread of your blade making a mizzle of his blood or vengeance arriving ever from this quarter, from the victory shieldings, the shoulders of the spear. He knows he can trample down you Danes to his heart's content, humiliate and murder without fear of reprisal. But he will find me different. I will show him how Geet shaped to kill in the heat of battle. Then whoever wants to may go bravely to meet when morning light, scarfed and sun-dazzle, shines forth from the south and brings another daybreak to the world. Then, the gray-haired treasure-giver was glad. Far-famed in battle, the prince of bright Danes and keeper of his people counted on Beowulf, and the warrior's steadfastness in his word. So the laughter started. The din got louder and the crowd was happy. Wilthyow came in, Hrothgar's queen, observing the courtesies. Adorned in her gold, she graciously saluted the men in the hall, then handed the cup first to Hrothgar, their homeland's guardian, urging him to drink deep and enjoy it because he was dear to them. And he drank it down like the warlord he was, with festive cheer. So the helming woman went on her rounds, queenly and dignified, decked out in rings, offering the goblet to all ranks, treating the household and the assembled troop until it was Beowulf's turn to take it from her hand. With measured words, she welcomed the key, 
and thanked God for granting her wish that a deliverer she could believe in would arrive to ease their afflictions. He accepted the cup, a daunting man, dangerous in action and eager for it always. He addressed Wilthiel, Baal, son of Akthiel, said, I had a fixed purpose when I put to sea. As I sat in the boat with my band of men, I meant to perform the uttermost what your people wanted or perish in the attempt in the fiend's clutches. And I shall fulfill that purpose, prove myself with a proud deed, or meet my death here in the meat hall. This formal boast by Beowulf the Gee pleased the lady well, and she went to sit by Hrothgar, regal and arrayed with gold. Then it was like old times in the echoing hall. Proud talk and people happy, loud and excited. Until soon enough, half Dan's heir had to be away to his night's rest. He realized that the demon was going to descend on the hall. That he had plotted all day from dawn light until darkness gathered again over the world. And stealthy night shapes came stealing forth under the cloud mark. The company stood as the two leaders took leave of each other. Hrothgar wished Beowulf health and good luck, named him Hall Warden, and announced as follows. Never, since my hand could hold a shield, have I entrusted or given control of the Danes Hall to anyone but you. War and guard it, for it is the greatest of houses. Be on your mettle now. Keep in mind your fame. Beware your enemy. There's nothing you wish for that won't be yours if you went through alive. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.